What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Performance Podcast. Episode three today, and we're talking about weight loss in athletes and highly active individuals. It's a jam-packed solo cast with myself, where I'll discuss why weight loss is different in athletes than the general population, and how to go about it most effectively and safely, with a fun little story to start off the episode. You're going to learn a lot, get your notepads out, I guarantee this is a great and highly informative session. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. That beeping you just heard is the sound of me turning off the AC. So I'm now in a time crunch and I'm going to have to get this done in less than 30 minutes because this room is going to get pretty fucking toasty. For those that don't know, I am currently residing in Costa Rica. I've been here for about two and a half months and I have about two weeks left, at which point my girlfriend and I are then heading to Mexico for about five weeks before I return to the homeland and set up shop in Boston again. So with that said, I actually want to take a little tiny deviation before we dive into today's episode where we talk about weight loss strategies in athletes and in competitive sport. I was recently reading a book about effective public speaking and how to, you know, captivate audiences. And because I do a lot of that as a a part-time job, I travel around and I I do, I conduct workshops and uh, there are about two to three hours where I'm speaking. So it's really important that I'm, you know, an engaging and captivating and interactive kind of uh, speaker. But anyway, one of the tactics that a lot of really, really big names and, you know, keynote speakers have implemented is to start their sessions with a story. Oh, sorry, let me turn off WhatsApp there. It's to start their sessions with a story, a personal story, not necessarily related to the topic that they're going to discuss. But what happens is, you know, they've done these studies where they hook people up to fMRIs and um, you know they're looking at their brain and how how they react to certain things that people speak about and implement into their talks but they find that when you're following along a story you're becoming more aligned and present with the session where some of you guys might sometimes listen to my podcasts and you know it's just going in one ear, going out the other, uh, which is completely fine. You know, I do that with a lot of podcasts myself, but I actually do find, and I'll tell you a great example of this is Blind Boy's podcast, that when he starts off with this outrageously random story, and sometimes it's uh, the short stories that he writes, he'll start a podcast where he talks through one of those. I'm there. I'm present. And I'm fucking, that's, that's the primary that's taking the primary attention um, and so that's what I want to do right here so the little story I want to talk to you guys about or present to you is it's going to stay with me for the rest of my life and it was out here in Costa Rica so I'm living in an area called Esterios and that is about 30 minutes from one of the main cities here and that's called Haco or Haco and it's probably the surf capital of Costa Rica and Costa Rica is generally a surfing country right a surfing orientated country it's definitely one of the main sports here so you know you go into Hako and it's just one long strip of bars and restaurants and it's all these surfer people and 
I'll tell you, I've been pleasantly surprised with the balance among genders in terms of surfing. What I thought would have been a male-dominated sport is absolutely not. And there's as much uh, surfer girls as there is surfer guys. So I'm really, really, uh, yeah, I think that's awesome. But anyway, the story is, so I've been practicing surfing. I rented a surfboard here. And, you know, every couple of weeks I bring it down in size because the bigger the board, the easier it is to stand up on, the more floaty it is, basically the bigger margin of error you have. But I've been, you know, working on my surfing for the last two months and I suppose I'm getting a little bit better. But there's, in Hako, it's it's a cove, right? And, you know, once a day they have high tide and that's when everyone comes out, all the surfers come out because that's the best time to surf. The swells are the best and, you know, you get to stay on the board for longer as opposed to lower tide. And then in lower tide as well, there's rip currents and things like that. So high tide is basically the best time, so... You know, I was in Hako um, with my girlfriend and her family were here and I just, you know, I go out and you have to go way out. And usually, you know, I don't love going way out because I have this, I don't know, this underlying fear that if I don't know what's under me or if it's really deep, there's sharks and things like that. And um, yeah, that kind of gets me nervous. But if there's other surfers, I have absolutely no problem going out. And so when we're in Hako, I go way out. Um, because you have to get past where the waves are crashing, right? And I just remember being out there and the sun was setting because high tide was around the evening. And I'm sitting on the board and I'm far enough out from the beach that I can actually look back on the whole cove. And I tell you guys, this fucking scene is outrageous. It's all these luscious green trees, palm trees, these massive, you know, I don't know what kind of trees they are, but palm trees are scattered along them. And then just behind it, it's just mountains. But it's not like mountains, you know, that we see in the States or in Europe. It's, they're just covered in forestry or in jungle. And it is absolutely amazing. And I looked over and I swear to you, manta rays, little tiny manta rays, like about a foot wide, were jumping out of the water right near me, right next to me. And I was like, what is going on? This is outrageous. But I'm looking around at the other surfers and there's like hundreds of us out there, which is actually crazy. Like you're trying to dodge surfers. Never mind, you know, I'm trying to stay on the board, but I'm having to avoid surfers. But no one's really reacting. And that led me to believe that it's a very, very normal sight to see these little manta rays jumping out of the water. I don't know why they're jumping. Um, I don't want to dive any further into that thought because it must mean that there's a bigger predator underneath them that they're trying to evade but it was just a scene that is out of this world and you know I definitely haven't shared a lot about Costa Rica on my social media or on this because I don't want to I don't want people to think it's you know they're they're missing out on too much or anything like that or make people feel like their situation or where they are isn't isn't great um but there's some scenes that I definitely want to share and something that my girlfriend and I have been really practicing out here and I'm so proud of myself for it is our gratitude. And we express gratitude towards all of these sights and occurrences and experiences and it really has improved our quality of life. So anyway, this is not going to be any more wishy-washy stuff, but that is just a, a little important lesson that I've, I've learned on this on this journey. Okay, without further ado, I have about 22 minutes left. I'm gonna to try to keep this under 30 minutes. Um, there's a lot to pack in here. I'm really excited. 
about this episode. And what we're going to discuss is weight management, so weight loss in and, and body composition in athletes and competitive sport. So let's dive in. Okay, so the first thing that we definitely have to note is that research into optimal weight loss and you know body composition pursuits in athletes and competitive sport is very underdeveloped. It's very underdeveloped compared to that of the gen pop. And that's just because performance is always the key in competitive sport. And then after that comes long-term athlete health and well-being. And then somewhere after that comes, you know, achieving an optimal body weight um, for optimal performance so that you can achieve your optimal performance, you know, and, and then support your immune system and support your long-term health so that you're not getting injured, things like that. But in a general sense, it is very underdeveloped. So everything I discuss here today is not necessarily concrete. It's based on the current understanding and available evidence to which there is not a huge amount, as I've, as I've said. But these things can change as more research comes out. Okay, and the last thing to note is that it's very personalized. Okay, genetics speaks for a huge amount of inter-individual variation in optimal playing weight, optimal body fat percentage, and the body fat percentage that you can achieve through a sustainable diet. You know, so different people just find it more difficult to achieve a lower body fat percentage and you know vice versa some individuals find it very easy or find it very difficult to put on weight so it's very important that you know you take into account inter-individual differences and that comes from a lot a lot from genetics now with that said it is absolutely possible and recommended to optimize your diet and lifestyle to achieve a healthy an ideal playing weight or competing weight for your given sport. Or if you're into, you know, just you're recreationally active to improve your performance in that domain. So what the hell is this ideal or competition body weight that we are so often hearing? Well, that's very, very different depending on the sporting background you're in. For example, body fat percentage will generally be a lot higher in top performers of sports where power is key. Things like shot putting, javelin, so there are events in, you know, the Olympics and athletics. Field sports like football, baseball. Is baseball a field sport? Yeah, it's played on field, absolutely. And things like powerlifting. So you're going to you're going to generally see a higher body fat percentage in those sports among elite competitors who are, you know, top performers. And then it's going to be lower in events where, or not events, sorry, sports, where body weight is a major factor and it can be a limiting factor if you're over the weight. And of course, here we're talking about sports where, or events in athletics where power to weight ratio is key. So for example, jumping events, the high jump, the long jump, these are all events where you want a lot of power, but you do not want to have to propel too much weight. And so body weight is important there. Also, in some sports, body weight, an ideal body weight, is actually a regulation to compete in the event. So we're obviously looking at martial arts and uh, UFC, where you actually have to weigh it in a certain weight to compete. And things like powerlifting, 
you know, that's all important there as well. In terms of field and team sports, it's not played on a field, but basketball, which is my sport, body weight is actually very important there as well, especially for, you know, professional and semi-professional athletes that are playing week in and week out. Being at a suboptimal weight where you're carrying extra pounds can increase the susceptibility to injury. But it can also lead to poor performance where you're not able to turn as fast, you're not able to reach the accelerations of the competitors at a certain rate. And so these are sports and events and competitions where ideal playing weight is very important. Okay, let's move on now to body fat percentage. Should I use that as my marker? And then if so, what is a good or a gold body fat percentage that I should target. First off, yes, that's a great measure if you have access to it. The problem with using weight or going for an ideal body weight can be, it doesn't tell the full story of the composition of the weight. So if you're a 200 pound athlete, let's say you're a 200 pound soccer player and you're comparing yourself to the 190 pounds athlete that you're competing for position and for playing time you will play the same position you don't necessarily know that you're carrying 10 pounds additional fat than him or her so i literally just heard a lizard run down the roof sorry (laughs) using body fat percentage there can be a lot better and you know if you're going to if you're going to use this you should also have data on the lean mass and you usually will if you have access to the body fat um, you'll usually have access to the the lean mass as well so yes it definitely gives you a more descriptive and accurate overview of kind of how much extra weight you're carrying that's non-functional which is the fat mass now how much or what number should i be aiming for again this is very individual to the sport you're in okay But when we're talking about essential levels of body fat, you probably have heard this, that 3% body fat is essential for men and about 12% for females. Now, it's really important that when we hear these news stories of Cristiano Ronaldo is at 3% body fat or 2% body fat, don't buy into them, right? You need more than that to optimally function and perform. We need that body fat, it's protective. Okay, if you if you go lower than the essential numbers, you're, it's gonna come with a reduction in energy output, it's gonna come with muscle mass losses. Um, we're gonna talk a small bit about that. It's gonna open you up for injury, and you have less protection literally around your organs and things like that, okay? Now, optimal numbers, and again, this is a quite general number, but the range is between five to 10% in men is quite optimal and again if you're in those those sports where it's not as much an issue being a bit heavier where your your body weight isn't being propelled into the air and you know it's really important to have that power to weight ratio then you can be towards the higher end of that so the eight nine ten percent body fat and then for women it's eight percent to fifteen percent that's the the healthy and optimal range and again individualize that personalize it to your sport, compare it to the athletes that are top performers in your sport and what is healthy and recommended by your your coaches and the dietitians that work with your team. Now, when is the best time to pursue my weight loss goal? 
in my training phase or my training year or my season if you're a team sport athlete. Let's dive into that. Now for broad strokes and simplicity's sake, I'm going to break up a typical year or season into four phases, okay? So, and I will dive into this in more detail in subsequent episodes, but for simplicity's sake, we're gonna have our in-season and that's gonna comprise you know, your training, uh, the playoffs, the championship, any rest weeks. We're gonna have our off-season okay where it's on the tail of being eliminated or winning the championship or just you know the season coming to a close and you have a couple of weeks off or you might have a couple of months then we have our preseason, which is when you're ramping up for the coming season and return to optimal fitness and form is really important there and then we're going to have an, an optional or kind of additional phase which is injury because this is often the time when athletes thinking they're doing the right thing, are really targeting a weight loss goal. So we'll talk about those four phases. Now, first off, in most sports, it's generally not recommended to target or pursue a weight loss goal during the in-season. This is different for for all the sporting modalities, what in-season is defined as. Just know that I'm not speaking to people who are in a weight-based sport where you have to weigh in. That's a very different approach because as you're coming into your peak weeks, that's when you have to start focusing on your, on cutting weight. So we're not speaking to those sports. And there's going to be episodes where I have specialists to come on and talk about that, because that's definitely not my, my strong area. This is talking to all the other kind of sports, okay? So in season, definitely not a recommendation. Now, if your season is long ranging and you don't have much of an off season, it's just the nature of your, your sport and your, your competition, obviously, if you need to achieve or reach a healthy and optimal body weight, you're going to have to incorporate that into your in-season. But for the most part, not recommended. We instead use the off-season and our pre-season as the optimal time to pursue that goal. Now, Daniel Davey from Davey Nutrition has called, you know, I've spoken to him about this a lot, and he talks about the idea of development phases, which is our off-season and pre-season when you're gonna have some time off, and that's when you should focus on, you know, improving any skills that, closed skills or open skills uh, inherent to your sport that, you know, aren't polished yet um, or that you need a bit of work on, but also managing your, your body composition and improving it if needs be. So generally the off season is the gold standard for that. After, of course, you get your break and you get some time away so that you can come back refreshed. But yeah, so that's the, that's the optimal time to focus on a weight loss pursuit. Now, injuries. I'm only going to quickly go into this, but it's not a great time, especially if the injury is quite severe, like you have a broken bone or a completely ruptured ligament or muscle to pursue a weight loss goal. And that's because there's a lot of research coming out about the processes occurring during injury. And our body ramps up energy expenditure, for example, uh, during the healing phase. And so if you're depriving yourself of energy in order to achieve a fat loss goal or a weight loss goal, you're actually going to hinder your body's ability to recover and to regenerate the, the injured tissue. Again, referring back to Daniel and David Nutrition, he, he, I heard him say one time that your goal in an injury when you're, when you're injured is to return the same as you left. 
okay some people in less severe injuries or if they're very very you know focused on their nutrition and their physical activity during that phase can come back a small bit better and but it should be your goal just to come back the same not to have put on a lot of weight not to have severely decreased your aerobic capacity so yeah there that should be your goal in an injury phase and that is just because there's so many processes going on you know if you injured your bone if you fractured a bone and there's a lot of processes trying to regenerate that bone and if you're depriving yourself of essential energy and some of the nutrients it can actually lead to impaired let's say bone reformation so that's just a very specific example now for the really juicy question that i get all the time is how much weight should i be losing each week how fast should i be losing this weight what should my caloric deficit be I guess juicy questions but these are very very important okay now again this is a largely understudied area and it's not as simple and clear-cut as with the general population because performance is generally key as an athlete again in the off season this changes up a bit where you know skill acquisition and polishing of of current skills is the key as well as achieving this body composition but for the most part as an athlete your performance output is the optimal goal it's the number one key focus so how do i reduce my body weight which requires an energy deficit okay while still maintaining or even improving performance and that's the question we need to answer and the agreement currently is that you shouldn't lose weight at a rate greater than a pound about a pound 1.1 pounds a week or about a half kg okay you'll often hear of weekly weight loss goals much more aggressive than this in the general population and sometimes you might hear them from athletes but it's my strong recommendation and this is supported by research in this area that you shouldn't be more aggressive than that and let me tell you why. Let's use a practical example. Let's take a 175 pound, 80 kg athlete, okay? So this athlete, quite active, requires, let's say for maintenance, which is the amount they need to stay at their current body weight, they require 2,800 calories. As I said, they're quite active. For them to lose one pound a week, one pound of body fat, is approximately 3,500 calories. And again, not gonna get into the complexity of this, but you're never going to lose 100% body fat. Okay, the weight you lose is never going to be 100% body fat. But we're aiming for a 75%, 25% ratio of body fat to, to muscle, um, or even a bit higher, but it's never gonna be 100%. So this athlete requires 2,800 calories a day for maintenance, and we wanna lose one pound, so we have to chop chop off 3,500 calories on a weekly basis. If you divide those 3,500 calories by seven days, that means we'll need to institute a 500 calorie deficit every day, okay? So this athlete will now have to consume 2,300 calories each day as opposed to 2,800. Now, given they keep up their current exercise intensities and uh, volume, I'd be concerned that this is going to come with a decrease or a drop in performance output and intensity levels, as well as I'd be slightly worried about the, the muscle retention. However, in the research, and I'm gonna really quickly bring you through a, a very interesting study, 
and that I think I'm actually going to devote one whole episode to, a really quick one, like a 15-minute episode. But it does show that this rate of weight loss can actually, if structured well, um, can actually lead to improvements in all your, your performance outputs, as well as the retention and even gain in lean mass. But you don't want to go any more intense than this or aggressive than this with your caloric deficit and your weight loss goal. If you do go more aggressive than this, you will absolutely start to see greater detriments in your performance output, your energy levels, your mood, immune function, vitality, bone health, energy availability, okay, and then lean body mass. You are going to see negative effects in all of those if you go more aggressive than this in a highly active setting, okay, or lifestyle. So it's really important that you're well-structured and very purposeful with your fat loss or weight loss goal. Okay, the study I'm going to mention is a Norwegian one. It was published in 2011, so a bit ago. It's getting a good bit of attention now and um, amongst a lot of you know practitioners because this is a really contentious topic of how much weight loss I should be targeting each week. So what they did is they took 36 highly elite athletes and they recruited them from an Olympic training center. And they wanted to see how much lean body mass would be affected, okay, and weight loss, ultimately weight loss, would be affected in a fast weight loss regimen and a slow weight loss regimen. And they wanted to compare those two. So what they did is they, they took athletes and they split them in to two groups. And one group had to target 0.7% of their body mass a week. And then the example they use in the study is a 70 kg athlete. That would be approximately 0.5 kgs a week, okay, which is in and around the, the, the target, the optimal target, or about 1.1 pounds in that example I discussed earlier. And then they compared them to people who, the athletes who targeted 1.4% body mass loss. And that comes out at about 2.2 pounds a week or one kg. All right. And again, this is a lot more aggressive than we recommend. So what they did is they followed an energy restricted diet in the slow weight loss group. They followed it around 19% energy restriction, which is again, it's an aggressive deficit in my eyes and compared that to 30% energy deficit. All right. So that basically means, let's say you need 2,500. I'm going to do some quick mathematics here. If you needed 2,500 calories for your maintenance, 30% of that would be 250 times three. So you would chop off 750 calories, which means you'd be eating 1850. And as an athlete, exactly, you can see that that's problematic. So at the end of the study, so what they did was these athletes had to follow it until they achieved um, the minimum of 4% body mass loss. And it took varying amounts of time, okay? And at the end of the study, it took, it took between four and 12 weeks, depending on the modality of weight loss that they were in. And at the end of the study, there was no difference between body mass loss, which came out just over 5% in both groups. There were, however, significant differences in all of the other markers. For example, body fat. So fat mass was actually decreased by 31% on average, of course, in the slow weight loss approach versus 21% in the faster weight loss approach. And there was significant difference between both of those. Lean body mass or muscle tissue, that was increased, increased 
during a diet phase by 2.1% in the slow, and it was unchanged in the fast. And these were significantly different. One rep max, so they did a range of performance measures. Uh, they used the bench, the squat, the bench pull, and they also did some other performance measures, so the counter movement jump, which is basically when you go down into a full squat and jump back up, uh, and the 40 meter sprint. And these were all improved in the slow fat loss approach, and only the one rep max was improved in the fast. Okay, now these guys were training, this male and female, sorry, when I say guys, it's unisex. These people were training all throughout this fat loss phase of between four and 12 weeks. So as you can see there, there was significant differences, not in the overall weight loss, but the composition of these and also the performance, which is why if you're working with someone and they're saying, please, please don't be this aggressive, you need to slow it down. And you're like, but buddy, I'm fine, I'm flying it, I'm unreal at this. I, you know, I don't have any problems with food and I can adopt this deficit. This is why you don't wanna do that, okay? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. So hopefully I've convinced you of that. Now I'm coming up to 30 minutes, which I'm very aware of. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna really lightly breeze over um, about eight strategies for just overarching strategies. I'm really not going to get too in depth. And I, we will have subsequent episodes, as I've said, where you know we'll speak to experts, but I'll also dive into the kind of really specific strategies for achieving sustainable weight loss as an athlete. This whole podcast is really directed towards athletes and active individuals. Okay, so number one, exercising up to a caloric deficit. So there's two ways you can achieve less energy consumed than energy output. You can chop down the amount you're eating or you can increase the amount you're outputting. The optimal approach is where you combine both of these. You shouldn't try to do one too much. So a lot of people will severely decrease the amount they eat and they'll go on this rigid, you know, dietary tracking approach where for lunch they're having a very small salad and they're cutting out carbohydrates because they're becoming hyper-focused on the caloric content of food. But that is not the optimal strategy because your energy expenditure is going to completely downregulate. And it's also going to come with a lot of lean muscle loss. So instead, you should use a combination. And part of that is increasing your activity. And this doesn't have to be stepping on a treadmill. And it actually shouldn't be stepping on a treadmill for 60 minutes a day. It should be a combination of resistance training. Okay, so resistance training, I like to think of as investing, right? Resistance training is like putting your money in a stock because you're actually increasing your lean tissue mass, which is metabolically active tissue, and it's going to increase the amount of calories you expend throughout the day, which will make your fat loss attempt easier. But it'll also serve you better in pretty much every sport. So a combination of resistance training, but also NEAT exercise. So NEAT exercise is an acronym for non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Sorry, I was supposed to say NEAT activity. So it's basically not exercise. It's walking around, it's using a standing desk, it's fidgeting, it's walking the dog, it's doing chores around the house. It's all your activity throughout the day that is not your purposeful gym session or 60 minute soccer training or practice. Okay, so you should increase that and that will elevate the overall amount of energy you're expending. The good thing about that as well 
is it's not going to radically improve, increase your appetite. So let's use the traditional example of, you know, your fat loss coach telling you to get on a treadmill for 60 minutes or two hours even. What's going to come with that is a really big increase in your appetite. And a lot of times that will actually lead to weight gain because people generally eat more than the calories they expended. And you don't want that, okay? You don't want this radical increase in your appetite. You want to increase your output without without much of a change. And this neat activity is a way to do that. Okay, being specific with your needs. So this is just being specific with your needs and altering it day to day. So these are kind of one and the same. Using things like MyFitnessPal, and MyFitnessPal is a great app, but where it spits out, it takes into account these very general questions, you know, how active are you? And there's only five options and what's your body weight? You know, it's not asking you your fat mass or anything like that. And then it spits out just one number. This is your number that you should aim for. It's not taking into account a day where you were at rest or a day where you had a 60 to 90 minute intense practice as well as walked the dog, did a lot of chores around the house. And yeah, you... You expended you, you probably expended double the calories in that day than the rest day. So be very specific based on the day and following me and listening to my content, I will hopefully show you how to do this, how to make changes throughout your day based on the activity output. Okay, this is one tool that I absolutely try to instill in everyone I work with the ability to adapt, or sorry, adapt your intake based on the needs of that day. Very famous quote, I'm not sure who coined it. Um, I heard it first in the Institute of Performance Nutrition, fuel for the work required. And this just means don't follow some arbitrary, solitary number blindly. You have to adapt it based on what that day calls for. And hopefully whoever you work with whether it's a nutritionist or dietitian, they will split, you know, the recommendations up for rest days and active days and competition days. So moving on, make sure you're not in a state of low energy availability. Okay, and this is a really, really new and emerging concept. And it is basically the energy that we have left over after we subtract our energy expenditure from that which we consume that we use for all the essential processes in the body. And if you are particularly active, and this happens in a lot of athletes that, you know, they, they account for their training session, but they underestimate their daily activity outside of that. And they underestimate the expenditure in their warm up, in their cool down, and everything else. But what can happen is if you adopt a diet or a caloric restriction, all these processes will suffer because there's not enough energy left for for these essential processes. And a very, very common example, and it happens a lot in female athletes, as weight stigma can be a massive issue in, in sports among female athletes. It also happens in males, but it is very, very common in weight-dependent female sports. But what actually happens is bone health can be compromised and so if this low state of energy availability is maintained or prolonged this can actually increase the risk of long-term bone health conditions and what can also happen is women can lose their period if this continues 
it's known as amenorrhea. But we're not going to get into that. I'm absolutely going to have an expert come on the, the show to talk about that. Very, very nuanced. But what you should be vigilant of are these signs. So if you're female, regular menstruation should absolutely be the norm. There's no excuse to, to lose your period or the regularity of it because of your sport or your dietary requirements or the, the weight loss that you, need, you think you need. You should also monitor your energy levels, your immune function. You know, are you contracting colds and flus more common than usual? These are all signs that you are in a state of low energy availability. Sleep can suffer. Your mood can be very, very, you can be very irritable. These are all signs that you need to come out of a, a deficit and return to your, your maintenance needs or even beyond that, okay? So energy availability is a crucial one. And just to add to that, this is really important for athletes that have had an injury. When you're you know, restricting calories too much, the healing process is going to be compromised and this can actually open you up for re-injury of, of whatever you've hurt fractured or torn or ruptured this can actually happen where you open your up for you open yourself up for subsequent injury so it's absolutely essential that you fuel for the work required and give your body the essential energy it needs yes you can maintain a deficit whilst giving your body essential energy okay again more on that to come okay keep protein high and evenly spaced throughout the day so apologies about the WhatsApp notification. So protein is absolutely essential for offsetting any muscle loss that can occur. This is increased, this muscle loss is increased in a weight loss or an energy restricted approach. So by increasing your protein intake and making sure you're getting enough, you can offset this as much as is possible. And then we're coming back to that ratio. You want a good ratio of fat mass lost to muscle mass lost. And one way to do that is to make sure you're getting enough protein along with not restricting too much, not being overly aggressive with your energy restriction. Another part here onto the protein is you should make sure it's evenly spaced throughout the day. Okay, so what you want to do is you want to end the day on a net positive nitrogen balance or a protein balance. Okay, and so to do that, you need to get at least 25 to 30 to 35 grams of protein three to four times throughout the day. So for people that try to pack in the bulk of their protein at lunch and dinner and you know they find it hard to have it at breakfast and that's usually a problem for people is breakfast time. They usually have a carbohydrate rich breakfast. That's not optimal for retaining or even growing your muscle mass uh, anytime but also in a, a fat loss approach. Okay so make sure you're getting it at all three meals and as well in the evening time. Okay, because you're about to go into a 12 to 14 hour fast. So you want to make sure you're getting uh, a source of lean protein before kind of heading to bed. Not right before, but sometime in the evening. Okay, keep yourself full. So that's just really basic. This applies to everyone on a fat loss approach. Keep yourself full. Go for high volume foods that don't have a ton of calories packed in. And this is, and this is just looking at all of our vegetables and things that can be made snacks out of. So what I love to do is chop up a bell pepper and if I have hummus on hand you can dip it into hummus or you can just eat the bell pepper sliced up on its own absolutely delicious carrot sticks celery and peanut butter well not peanut butter that actually is the opposite but celery some people like that straight up with a maybe a light ranch 
Popcorn is another example of a, a high volume, lower calorie food. So you can eat, you can get a lot more popcorn for the same amount of calories as potato chips. Okay, so that's keep yourself full. And another way to do that is to eat meals frequently. So that might be break four meals up into six smaller meals. It doesn't do anything in terms of metabolic stoking or increasing your metabolism, but it might just help you stay full throughout the day. And some people just like four larger meals, okay? They don't like having a very small meal. Four larger meals works better for other people, or three. Moving on to our last one, supplements. Very, very common, commonly targeted area when in a fat loss phase, a lot of people buy supplements specifically for fat loss. Fat burners, you know, things like that, pre-workouts. The only ones I'll give any air to are possibly multivitamins. And this is something I looked at when I was studying in the IOPN. In a fat loss phase, you're reducing the overall food you're consuming. And so energy can decrease and our multivitamins, so our micronutrients, um, vitamins and minerals, they're essential for the release of energy. And having a multivitamin can cover all your bases in terms of those, but it can also help to increase the energy levels sometimes okay so just it's just really making sure you're getting enough of those um, in a period when you're restricting your overall food intake another one is creatine so creatine is very consistently shown to increase a lot of performance metrics when it comes to strength power uh, recovery you know in repeated bouts of high intensity exercise it helps you to maintain high levels of intensity and so this is really important when you're in a fat loss phase because these are generally areas that are impaired or decreased because you're just not fueling enough. Purposely, of course. And then protein. So whey protein can be a good way of just getting in a shake in the morning if you're someone that, you know, you do have a carbohydrate-rich breakfast or you just don't like breakfast. It's always a recommendation not to skip meals as an athlete, even on a weight loss program. So a protein shake can be a great, option there you're getting 25 to 30 grams of high quality protein that's going to stimulate the muscle building response but it's probably about 120 150 calories based on the brand you get um, it can also just help you achieve your daily numbers easier okay so that is all there are my little overarching strategies i probably could come up with a hundred but i said i just give those to you at the moment and i promise I will do a more in-depth episode or several episodes uh, in the short future but I will also have experts on this topic and on that note I also will have experts on the female energy availability topic that I mentioned as well okay thank you so much for listening this is coming out on a Friday night I know I was a bit late but it was a packed episode and I'll put a post up about it on Saturday or maybe Sunday if you could, I would be extremely grateful, extremely, extremely grateful if you could share on your story, give this a review, send it to a friend, anything, just any type of promotion that you could or referral, I would be extremely grateful for. That is how we grow on these podcasts and that's all I'm asking for. Thank you so much and have a fantastic weekend.